producer, host, and creator of the Toasted Sister podcast. And before we get started, I really want to say thank you, thank you for listening. It's been exactly one year since I started this podcast, and it seems like just yesterday I uploaded that first episode. And now I'm already looking forward to year two. And I've got a list of native chefs that keeps growing, and I'm learning more about some new projects, and I'm taking note of your suggestions and recommendations. So please keep sending them to me because they are very helpful. Okay, let's get started with episode 25 featuring Chef David Wolfman. So tell me about the beginning. How did you start cooking? Well, actually, I was quite young. I was actually nine years old. And uh, I remember walking into the kitchen. I could smell my mom baking bread. And my main motive was um, obviously the bread, you know, when you smell fresh baked bread. And I was really hungry, so I came in the kitchen, and I was snooping around like I do. And uh, my mom said, what's up? And I said, oh, I came in to help. And uh, she put an apron on me, and she said, well, we're making some stew. And uh, we had some stewed meat on the stove. And, and then she said, we also got some bread in the oven. Well, of course I knew that. <laughs> and so when she took it out of the oven, she uh, immediately looked at one of them that fell apart, and she said, uh, these little biscuits. And she said, well, we better eat this. And I said, Okay, so, you know, I was helping her stir. She put an apron on me. I stood on this little stool. And, you know, I was talking to her about uh, what she cooking and where she learned how to cook. And It actually was the beginning of a, a fantastic relationship with my mom, not only because uh, it was an opportunity for me to learn how to cook, but it was a, an opportunity for me to, to hear the stories from, from my mom and from the, uh, from the elders through her. All right. And can you tell me about where your mom is from? She's from uh, First Nations, and uh, forgive me, I, I do That's not fine. know how to pronounce it. Can you pronounce it? My mom it? is from uh, Hoklep, First Nations, uh, just outside a town called Lillooet, B.C., which is probably about 150 miles northeast uh, from a town called Vancouver in British Columbia, right up the Fraser River. So, uh, did your did your mom always um, cook traditional food, or what was uh, sort of like a weeknight dinner at your house? <laughs> That's funny. You asked that. My mom actually moved away from the reserve. Mm. Uh, she met my dad and uh, moved to a big city, um, Toronto, and we grew up uh, sort of in the Lower East Side in Toronto. So, although my mom talked a lot about traditional foods, I think the because she came from an area of what we call salmon. Salmon Valley, uh, the Fraser River. So she was able to get some salmon, but it wasn't the traditional salmon, and she wasn't able to wind dry or smoke it. So a lot of times when she would do any foods that were similar to back home, you know, there was always a really good story with it. And uh, and so my mom, you know, a typical night might be something like bologna, right, or um, pork chops. My mom loved cooking rice, and onions and peppers were everywhere in my mom's food, so she really loved that. 
In one article uh, I read about you, it was in the Star. Um, the it mentioned your dad uh, is of Russian and Jewish heritage. I mean, did you uh, eat any of that kind of food at all? Was that part of your upbringing? Uh, unfortunately, my father, um, in when he was five years old, uh, ended up uh, moving to an orphanage, and um, so it was a very religious uh, orphanage, and so he never really got to know his parents or any of the sort of past from his parents. Like, I mean, they, they, they were very religious, very strict. So when he actually left the orphanage, he um, decided to leave the religion and, and kind of just go out on his own. And he traveled across the country working for CN. And um, it's kind of interesting because he met my mom. He um, ended up in a small town right near where my mom was. Ended up meeting her. And then I remember um, the, some of the stories uh, my dad telling me of you know, when I was younger, I would say to my dad, so what religion are we? He goes, I don't know. And I said, well, well, I said, mom says we're Catholic. And he goes, well, then we're Catholic. <laughs> and um, interestingly enough, um, I would ask him about our religion. He'd go, I don't know. I, I became Catholic because your mom wanted me to. Cause it's the only way she'd marry me. And I remember asking my mom, how come we're Catholic if we're Native? And my mom uh, um, told me that when she was uh, younger, she actually got uh, tuberculosis. And ended up uh, going into what we call a sanitarium, and that's where they, t- you know, they usually they go there to um, to get healthy. Which at that time in the fifties, most of the people didn't get healthy, and um, they they usually just either passed. And so after two and a half years of my mom being there, um, they sent her home. Now the two and a half years she stayed there, it was all run by the nuns. Those were the only people that would volunteer to work in a place like that. So my mom, you know, when she came back home, a lot of her sisters were being forced to go into sort of uh, Catholic schools and stuff like that, where my mom wasn't because, you know, obviously she was sick. And my mom, my mom came home, they said, well, we're not Catholic. And my mom said, yes, we are, right? And so there was sort of a, um, like almost like an internal crisis with my mom. So she decided to, to sort of get up and leave. She met my dad and they decided to leave. So, you know, through my whole life, it was all about sort of searching for, you know, what are we? And, and uh, you know, what, I'm, I'm telling you, not my whole life, it's about so 25 and I remember going back home to my mom's reserve and meeting all of her relatives, and I thought, well, this is home, right? So that's uh, basically how my life uh, sort of formed when I was younger. And where did um, where did you start really developing this um, identity you have with uh, Native food or this connection? Well, I think it was the time that I was spending with my mom cooking in the kitchen, my mom telling me stories about, you know, we would win dry salmon, and they had these feasts, you know, and and it was really neat because, you know, my mom would tell me these stories, and it was like reading from a, a storybook. But my mom never had to pull out a book, and you know, she would say, "Well, there's a certain time of year that you listen to these crickets or grasshoppers, and when you hear that, that's the time to go dry your salmon." And it was like a really fascinating story, and and I remember saying, "Oh, I really want to do that." Like it, it, it was almost like when you're a child and you hear, you know, stories of, of of sort of things, and you think, "Wow, that you know, it's almost like a fairy tale." But this was a, a real thing, and. and but because it was so far away from me, I, I I always thought that was so far away. And then I remember as I was growing a little older, I thought, well, we're we're First Nations. And I remember meeting a couple of my cousins that came down uh, from British Columbia and saying, you know, talking to them and asking them questions. And then the more I kind of got curious, uh, I, I got interested in it. Now, I already had taken some uh, international cuisine programs, and one of them was at George Brown College. And so I really knew how to cook. So I was about 25 years old, 26 years old, 
and I decided to visit the Native community in Toronto. And I, I didn't realize how many uh, Native people, or what we call now Indigenous people, were in Toronto. Uh, and I walked in and went to this one place, and and I remember them saying, do you want to be a member here? And I said, sure. And they said, uh, are you a cook? And they said, we, we need your help. And, and they had this big event going on, and they said there's going to be hundreds of Native people there. And I thought, I can't believe it. I didn't even think there was hundreds of Native people in Toronto. And it was this big, huge festivity that I got involved with. And I'll never forget, I, took, I brought a camera and took all of these pictures, and they kept telling me about all these famous actors that are going to be there that were Native. And I thought, oh, I don't know any of them. And they said, a guy named Graham Greene. I said, I've never heard of him. Right? I didn't know who Graham Greene was. <laughs> and um, Gary Farmer. And, uh, anyway, I ended up taking a bunch of pictures of all these people, and I didn't get the film developed for a couple of years uh, until I actually got to know the, the most of these people became my regular clients of my Aboriginal catering company that I eventually developed. Oh, wow. So uh, tell me about what you do now. Do you uh, do a lot of catering? I know um, in your website and a couple of uh, articles, there's a whole list of things that you do. Can you tell me what you do now? Well, right now I'm a full-time professor at George Brown College. If I can just kind of take a step back okay. of uh, when I was catering in the 90s, I, um, I did a lot of catering, uh, did it cross-country, uh, I would even I went to Europe a couple of times to do um, some sort of menus and, and hotels and and to promote what, what what they called native Canadian food, and then eventually I um, I ended up uh, developing a program for a college uh, just outside of Toronto and, and taught this native cooking program, which got moved to George Brown College where I work now. Now after being at George Brown and having one of the first. Um, native cuisine programs running in Canada. Five years later, I developed a TV show uh, that was on, on a native broadcast network here called APTN, Aboriginal People's Television Network. And it was called Cooking with the Wolfman, and I developed that show. And uh, I did that sort of part-time in my summers when I'd be off as a teacher. And then, um, so I went from the native catering company to doing a native program to... Um, doing this show, and um, now the show's on in the States, on, on FNX and uh, Native Flex in the States. Uh, and in between all of this, I've still been teaching. I've been teaching for 23 years. So besides that, I am going to open up, help uh, Indigenous organizations open up their restaurants, do restaurant makeovers. Uh, I do consulting where I, I, I go and do cooking demonstrations. I train uh, First Nations youth. I have a whole lot of fun. I mean, the main thing is I love what I do. When you love food and you love teaching and you love sharing, it's just it's the best uh, best job in the world. And it was about 30 months ago, uh, my wife Marlene Finn and I decided to uh, put our heads together and do a book. And so we came up with a book called the same name, Cooking with the Wolfman, Indigenous Fusions. So that just came out here in Canada, and it will be actually released in the States on April 10th, I believe, next, 2018. Awesome. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about what is inside the book? Um, is it a sto also like a storybook? Well, um, it's it's actually a, a little bit of a storybook. So it, it, I just had an article written on me that says it's a fascinating recipe book and storybook all in one. And what it is is for each recipe, I wanted to tell a little bit of history, either history about why that recipe is in the book. So so, for example, it might it might be about how pemmican was made, how you know the Plains Cree people dried out their their uh, buffalo meat and pounded the choke cherries to keep the preserve the meat over the winter, 
or it might have even been a story that maybe my mom uh, told me about cooking salmon when she was younger, or it could be um, even just a, a bit about maybe certain people, like our indigenous cousins from the south, you know, how they um, gathered the chocolate and mixed it with uh, the cocoa beans and, and mixed it with chilies and made a drink. Uh, and there, therefore, I, I kind of developed a recipe that was around that. So each recipe has a, sort of a little bit of an intro in it. What I, I call it like getting your appetite wet, you know. So it's not just about making, uh, you know, a dead chicken or <laughs> or a fish, right? So it's a little bit of story. It gives a little bit of body to what you're eating and, and a bit about our culture as well because I think like the elders have once told me, some of them, you know, that um, some of these stories are for us to share. They're not for us to keep. And, and the important thing is if we don't talk about them, they just disappear. Mm. Yeah, in another article, I think you mentioned, um, uh, you know, respecting traditional cooking in a temporary way. Can you kind of explain that? Well, what the book is called is Indigenous Fusion. Mm-hmm. And so normally what I... Uh, explain is that indigenous food is the foods that were here pre-contact. So in other words, over five, six hundred years ago, you know, foods that we lived off of, um, that we, that we dried, that we hunted for or gathered. And what I've done is I've uh, sort of fused them with modern techniques. So for instance, you know, going back to buffalo, well, we might have roasted a buffalo over an open fire or smoked it or dried it in the sun if we were living in the plains. Um, where today I would maybe, um, you know, dice it up and maybe make a curry out of it or, or put it in puff pastry and roll it up. Uh, have some fun with it, you know, or I might uh, do it into an egg roll. I have a buffalo egg roll with a blackberry uh, dip on as one of my recipes. So, you know, just, uh, again, either infusing modern techniques with it or even infusing maybe some international methods or international items like ginger like uh, or, or like... Uh, uh, stir fries and so so it's, an, it's a variety of that yeah uh, you know when I when I look at native food there's a lot of these uh, really old techniques and really old flavors and some of these flavors you know you can't really get in a grocery store so I'm always kind of interested in um, you know maybe taking some of these recipes and and really awesome photos of like really indigenous pre-contact food and seeing how it could play out in like a real person's kitchen like if a person like me who just lives in an apartment complex you know I can't and, and I work full-time, I can't go out and forage for some of these things, and, and some of these things are not even available in the grocery store. I mean, um, is that what you had in mind also? I mean, it sounds like that's what you had in mind when you were uh, crossing these traditional um, cooking techniques in a tempor- contemporary way. Well, I, I think the, the, the first and foremost was to respect their foods, mm-hmm. so... To, to use our traditional foods, like the salmon, like the deer, like the caribou, or depending on the region you're from. And I didn't p- keep one particular region. And I went to the north, uh, yeah, you know, to, to get Arctic char. And I went, like I said, to the south to get some chilies. And, um, uh, because, like, uh, when, when I look at indigenous foods, uh, you know, there was no borders. You know, we didn't cross the borders. You know, the border actually crossed us. And so respecting our traditional foods was the first thing. Now, the second thing was that if we really look at uh, any of the foods that we had traditionally, the pre-contact, there's, there's, it's almost impossible to have that exact same meat, to have that exact same method of doing it. 
there are some recipes in my book that I, I try and simulate as best that I can. You know, and one of them is, uh, it's like for example, for instance, the the hot and the cold smoked salmon. You know, which is something that you know we have done for thousands of years. Um, the only difference now is I might be using a digital sort of modern smoker to do it, as opposed to you know fanning it and 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 keeping moist and dry wood together to keep the right amount of smoke going on my uh, my fish. That so I am trying to still do it in somewhat of a, a, a traditional way. But also, you know, some, again, some some people like who live in condos and apartments can't can't do all of these things. So I still want to respect the food, but still have it that we can enjoy it. You know, I was at a an event way up uh, in the north uh, in the Arctic Circle, and I was doing a cooking demonstration. It was just, you know, I do a lot of cooking demonstrations, and this one was uh, for basically the whole community. And one of the things that I noticed that there was a lot of the youth were coming up and they were, you know, hanging around the front where I was cooking and they even pulled chairs up right in front of the stage where I was just watching me and they were asking me questions like, can, can you make pizza? You know, because I had some fry bread and, and some yeast bread and I said, it's just like a pizza dough. And they said, can you make pizza? And I said, sure. So I took some pizza. They had some bear meat and moose meat and I diced it up and flavored it with garlic and I put it on there. And then I made a lasagna as well. And I kind of did it in multiple stages and had it really looking nice and and I remember the kids going, oh, this is great. And it was all their traditional foods. Mm-hmm. And even one of them said right in front of his mom, oh, I like the way you cook food. My mom has no idea how to cook. <laughs> and his mom's standing right there. And I thought, oh, that's not a nice thing to say about your mom. And she says, well, you know, I always do it the same way. This is fantastic. I'm, I'm really grateful that you did this. And uh, the interesting thing was one of the elders came up to me and just quietly whispered something in my ear that was just so profound to me. And not at the moment, but a little bit later when I thought about it, and he said to me, he said, you're bringing the food back home. And mm-hmm. I said, I didn't bring any of the food here. This is all your food, <laughs> not realizing what he said. Yeah. And then later on, he kind of explained it to me. And I thought what he meant was that, you know, I'm making a new way of you know, us, us enjoying our traditional food. So I thought that was really profound. And it was one of the main focuses of, of when I was writing the book that I really wanted to keep that. Mm. Do you see native food going that way? Um, you know, how how the kids were asking, can you make a pizza? Can you make a ravioli or something? I mean, do you see um, native food sort of going in that way where you're kind of splashing together, you know, Italian, uh, bison meat, wild rice, and, um, you know, Japanese cooking? I mean, do you see it going like that? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, think of it like a language. You know, and when we use our languages, even if we're not saying it correctly, I mean, I remember one time I was learning a different language, the, the language of this area that I'm living in, and I remember the the teacher teaching me, and I I, I kept saying the words not correctly, not the, and it was Ojibwe, and he said, David, as long as you're using the language and and trying, although you don't know it perfectly, you're keeping it alive. So if we think of our traditional foods as that way, you know, then then we're remembering that this came from here, that this, this was a traditional recipe. And even if Judy and I just sat down here uh, and had uh, lunch together, and instead of having a roast beef, I did a roast uh, roast caribou. And, you know, I talked a bit about the caribou. And even if you and I just having a conversation about, well, you know, that, uh, you know, the wild caribou did this, so they roamed over here. And, and the reason why the meat tasted this way is because they ate these berries in the spring. And, you know, we're, we're keeping our culture alive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of have it summed up in one quote. I, I say, um, reclaiming our heritage one bite at a time. Mm. I read your name a couple of 
years ago, actually, when I first started working full time here in Albuquerque, when I first started uh, really, um, you know, digging around and finding out more about native food. Um, and uh, one thing that uh, I found very interesting was uh, your last name. Could you maybe explain a little bit about where your last name comes from? That's a funny thing, because yeah, I remember some uh, somebody introducing me on stage once, and they said, oh, "David Wolfman is from the Wolf Clan." <laughs> and I said, oh, "No, that's actually a Jewish name." And they all just laughed. Yeah, sure, David. Yeah, sure it is, because you know they, everybody thinks I'm a joker sometimes. Yeah. And it's actually um, from my father. It's my father's last name. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it's not a it's not a clan name uh, of any kind, right? So my actually my mom's name was. Uh, uh, an interesting name too, but uh, they changed the. They gave her a Spanish name, you know, because that's what they did, you know, a few, uh, you know, uh, I want to say a hundred or two, hundred and fifty years ago. Yeah. You know, when they couldn't pronounce your name in your language, they just changed a lot of the names. So. Yeah, and my mine ended up Murphy. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> mum's was Di- Diablo. Oh, okay. Oh. The devil, right? Oh, right. Just kind yeah. of funny, right? Because the devil meets the wolf, man, right? That's kind of what we always joked about. Of course, when I said that in front of my mom, my mom would get upset, so I never would say that. No, no. <laughs> uh, so, so tell me a little bit about uh, some of the, uh, is there a native food movement in Canada? Is it different than what you see down here? Are there any similarities? Well, I, it's funny because uh, uh, I, I noticed a lot of similarities mm-hmm. because I watched a handful of videos from, from various um, uh, native chefs in the States, and it's, you know, I watched a festival. There was a festival down there. I think somebody was going to bring me down to one, so I wanted to watch a bit about it. It never did happen. Hmm. But it, as I'm watching it, it's like, hey, this just looks like just like our festival, right? Except for the, you know, maybe, I think the music might have been slightly different, you know, a little a little a different beat, um, you know, here in the background. But the food looked very similar. The people, you know, all sort of got that great sense of humor. Like when I find our people when we're around food, we're always laughing and chatting. And, you know, so that was so similar that way. But I also noticed uh, with our food in Canada here that um, because uh, there's a lot of people that are cooking indigenous foods, you know, I mean, I, I started in, in 92 doing this. And, uh, you know, in 95, there was a, you know, a handful of students that went out in the industry, uh, indigenous students that were cooking. And, and again, it just kept uh, kind of growing. And now there's a couple of restaurants here that are open in, in Toronto. So that, that's really nice to see. A couple of months ago, um, there was a controversy uh, with seal meat. Um, the the Kokum Cafe or Kokum Restaurant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they they were under fire for a while for serving uh, uh, seal meat. I mean, do, what was your response when you heard about when you heard about that and seal meat being this controversy? Well, it's it's interesting because I've had um, um, people. When I had my indigenous company, it first opened in '92, and I, I remember um, some people came in front of the native center, and and I was cooking, you know, some food, and and we had an event, and and they said that that's you know they came up to me because I, I was a cook, and they said you guys are so mean killing animals like like small deers. <laughs> are you joking, <laughs> right? And I said, first of all, the sausage is is, is manufactured and it's farm raised, and I said. And this is a beef burger, right? And it was kind of interesting that uh, you know that some people were would made an assumption that certain things were killed a certain way. And, and um, I, I think well, what I read about that controversy was 
that somebody said that it wasn't a traditional person hunting that food, that it was actually done by a, a manufacturer, a company. And so I think that's what the controversy was about more. So I think that it kind of got lost if somebody's saying maybe you shouldn't be serving this. And, you know, uh, any time that I've ever served any, any game meat, it's always been federally inspected mm-hmm. because that's, you know, part of the law, you know, if you want to keep your catering license. Yeah. And it's always prepared in, 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 a, in a good way. I just think that possibly, um, you know, over the years, that seal was just one of those things that, you know, some people didn't like the way maybe the animal was treated or, you know, I mean, the, the same thing happened with uh, goose liver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but probably you don't. But, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, goose, goose liver was really popular to serve. And all of a sudden, in the late 80s, if you served it, people were protesting, saying you can't do that because it's not right. And, and it was, uh, now there's only one, I think, one or two or three places in the world, that countries that serve it, or, or that, sorry, um, that um, um, produce it for um, food service, and one of them is France. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to abide by uh, certain laws. You have to have your food and your, your meat inspected and approved if you're going to be well, selling, if you're it selling it to the public. Yeah, if you're selling it to the public. Do you think that is sort of like a hindrance to Native foods and Native chefs at all? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I think that if, if you're a caterer, you, you're going to be catering the right food to people. When I say the right food, meaning, you know, it should be federally inspected foods. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to just go and hunt and get your own food and bring it home and cook it for yourself, that's different, you know. And as Indigenous people, that's what we did. You know, when you step into a food service establishment, if that's what your um, if that's what your job is, you should have the proper food and be licensed. I mean, think of it. Imagine if I said to you, "Hi, I'm a doctor, but I only read it in a book." Um, and I'm not abiding by any rules, so I'm going to be your doctor and do surgery on you. I mean, you wouldn't let me do surgery on you, right? <laughs> so I think that, you know, as a responsible food service provider, you, you, you take the necessary steps to do it. I mean, if you're just cooking for home or you're coming over to my house and I went out hunting last week, that, well, that's completely different. That's, that's, some, that's us enjoying our, our food together and we're having a feast. That's something different completely. Um, I, I think what's uh, important is that... We respect our elders. Um, we respect the stories that we're told. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'll, I'll never forget is when I was younger, uh, one of my cousins came to Toronto. And, and remember, I grew up in the city, so I didn't have the opportunity to, to, to learn much about my, sort of my mom's side of the family. And I remember my cousin sitting, chatting with me, and I said, well, my mom tells me all this, this story, and she's telling me this story and I was sharing it with her and she said I said she always tells me the same story and she said well did you ever ask her like other questions about it and I said no she said, and she said well you know you should really write the story down if you wrote it down I said well, I could tell you the story inside out she says well write it down and then ask her some more questions about it and I thought well why would I do that she says well one day our elders won't be around and I, and I, so I looked at her and I thought you know I mean I was really I, what do you mean my mom won't be around you know like you know I was you know you know, you just seen that that would be impossible that would ever happen, you know, when you're in your 20s and stuff like this. So I just remember taking that to heart and, and asking my mom a story, uh, some some of the stories that I knew. And, uh, you know, so it was about her uh, her uncle hunting and stuff like this, and we were chatting. And the next thing you know, when I heard, actually heard the story when I was took an interest in it, it wasn't even the story that I thought it was about, you know, and it was really fascinating. So I remember that really impacted me on, 
you know, to ask my mom more questions and then to find time. Let's, let's just have a cup of tea. I remember coming after, you know, um, moving out for a long period of time, coming back to see my mom on a regular basis. Just, to, what are you over here for? Just have a cup of tea. And I would have a cup of tea with her and just sit and chat. And, and all of those stories that I was kind of, not avoiding, but, you know, just, okay, here's mom talking again. It, they actually turned into to like treasures. And it was just really fascinating to learn about about these stories. And I'm just so glad that I... I remembered them and wrote some of them down and even put some of them in my book because, you know, those are things that are that are kept alive. I mean, just me sharing them with you, right? And then you sharing it with, you know, the world, right? So that's it's just amazing. So, so, and another elder said to me that, you know, the stories they give you are not yours to take and tuck away in your pocket. You know, these stories are to be shared. So you, you go and share them. Chef David Wolfman from the Hucklup First Nation. His new cookbook will be available in the U.S. on April 10th. It's called Cooking with the Wolfman Indigenous Fusion. Find out more at cookingwiththewolfman.com. You can subscribe to Toasted Sister on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and Podbean. Please rate and review the show on iTunes because it helps spread the word about this show. If you like listening, please head on over to ToastedSisterPodcast.com and click the support button. While there, you'll find that Toasted Sister Podcast tumblers are for sale. Your donations help me continue to produce episodes for this podcast. Music was created by C.W. Ione. Listen to more of his awesome blues music by visiting his website, cwion.com. That's C-W-A-Y-O-N.com. 